Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we'll look at the Bible in a historical context. So let's get started. Hey there, Lindsay. Oh, again, once again, it's good to be uh, able to join you and to kind of talk about some of these things and when it comes to the Bible, because to a lot of folks, it seems like this ominous thing that, you know, years ago we were taught, you know, really not to have much to do with the Bible. And thank goodness, uh, the after the Second Council, there was an emphasis of, of the importance for people to read the Bible and grow in an understanding of Bible. And there was a, a plethora, you might say, of, of, of scripture study groups and such, some, some that are still going on today. Um, but one of the things that, that is so important, I think, that as we grow in an understanding of the scriptures is that we start to have a sense of the history behind it. Oftentimes, you know, we, we will approach the Bible as if it's, as I mentioned, kind of linear, that, you know, uh, Abraham did this, and then Isaac did this, and then Jacob did this, and it's one right after the other, when actually... Uh, it is. Uh, it, it's really not linear at all. It's more like a roller coaster ride, and, <laughs> and it takes. When you think about the, the the history of the Bible as we have known it, and the study has shown, is that the Bible really starts someplace after 2000 BC. So, and and why do I say that? You know, we have that kind of specific um, uh, time time frame because obviously civilization was taking place well before 2000 BC. It's because of the, the images and the archeological studies that have been done, the images used in the Bible, uh, the people that they talk about. These, in many ways, these are historical people. And, and we are able to say that not because the Bible says so. We're able to say that because other historical records from different nations, uh, cultures and such speak of these itinerant people, speak of these people that have come from the East and, you know, have settled in Egypt. So we know that with, with the images and the archaeological studies that have been done is that the, the history of all of this starts somewhere after 2000 BC and then moves forward 2000 plus years until literally until today. So we have, you might say, you know, literally around 4,000 years of history that we're working with when it comes to the the roots of the Bible and, and the roots eventually of Christianity and such. So I just wanted to give a little bit of an idea of, of the, his, the, the historical uh, aspect of the Bible and how things, you know, kind of take place. So are we, just for clarification, are we talking about 2000 BC is when it was first written down or that's when the stories originate from that's when the stories that's when this what the stories are talking about okay um family stories oral tradition it, the it wasn't started to be it, we didn't start to write anything down until literally the monarchy or the time of David and so that's when you talk about you know, 2000 BC, you're looking at close to a thousand years, close to a thousand years to around 1000 or 1100 when the monarchy begins is that that's when things begin to be written down. Um, the stories that were told and, and the legends 
which was very typical of, of ancient cultures and tribes, mm -hmm. is it was all oral history. It was all family story. Uh, so that's why when you look and think about some of the details that we talk about in the Bible, some of the details are a little sketchy, you know, because these are... Like someone being like 900 years old? Exactly. You know, you just never know. Could it, ha could it happen? I suppose with God, anything is possible. But it's, it's like, you know, playing the telephone game, you know, over a group of 20, 30 people. And what was originally said rarely ends up at the other end. Well, think about a thousand years and families who want to make a point, who, who want to show, you know, uh, who want to emphasize their prowess in, in the family line. All of these things, you know, uh, have play a part in it. Um, so let's begin a little bit with some of this because it's important, again, that we, we start to look at a bit of a historical context. The other piece to this is it helps us then to, to get a, a better sense when we read the stories of the Bible. It helps us to get a better sense of why certain things were done or, or why certain things were described in a way and it has a lot to do with what was happening at, at a particular time and what was taking place. So let's start, you know, literally, we start with the era that is oftentimes called the patriarchs. And basically, when we talk about the patriarchs, is we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, we also want to remember that their spouses had a huge portion to play in these. So it should be Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Rachel. That's right. And that, that's an important piece. Mm -hmm. What we know of them, as I mentioned, is very sketchy. It goes from about to about 600 years time frame that they look at. From the time that Abraham, who um, was settled in originally his home, uh, was in what today we would call Turkey and Syria in the southern area of that place. That were, that's where his home was. When Abraham was called, or Abram was called, eventually becoming Abraham, he moved northeast. So he would have been moving, you know, toward Egypt and, and the Mediterranean, what we would call today as present-day Israel, and toward the southern area of that. And so he moved northwest, and so eventually moving west and eventually the family history settling in Egypt. Now, so, but the details, you know, remember that what we know about Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob, these are all, this is all oral history. These are all family stories. And I probably had a, a, a crazy person in there, one or two, as we know from the scriptures. Some of the things that happened, you have to remember that these stories were told from a very particular viewpoint, a very particular bias to make their families look good. Doesn't mean they're illegitimate, doesn't mean that they're lies. It means that the wonder of God can work through all of us in lots of different ways. So what we know, again, is from family uh, stories, oral tradition, um, but it was somewhere after, as I mentioned, 2000 BC. The location? Mesopotamia, what was called Mesopotamia. Um, eventually, as we, we look at these stories here, is that they moved toward Egypt, 
And, and why was that? Uh, you might remember the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor. Oh, I was in that musical. <laughs> Dreamcoat? Mm-hmm. Is that there was a great famine in Canaan. Mm-hmm. And Joseph had been hauled, sold to the Egyptians. Is that Joseph eventually gathered his tribe, not family, but when they say family, they mean tribe in the biggest sense of the term. It could have been hundreds, possibly thousands of people. Joseph, because of his ability, uh, made sure that there was enough food for a lot of people of the area, planning Mm -hmm. ahead and just good planning. And eventually, so eventually what happened is that during the famine, Joseph invites his tribe to Egypt and things are good there. Things are very good there as long as the memory of Joseph and the folks were in good standing with the government of Egypt. <laughs> but as we know, like anything, depending upon who's in charge and, and, and the haves then have the have-nots become the have-nots, the ones in are the ones that become out. And that's basically what happened in, in, in Egypt is that those people who, uh, who were aware of Joseph and all of that, uh, they were fine with the people of, of uh, you know, the people, his tribe coming in. And, but eventually uh, they fell out of favor. And eventually what happened was that uh, the people that Joseph had brought into Egypt now basically became slaves. And isn't it interesting yeah. is that they talked about, you know, when they talk about why they became slaves, it's all fear-based. It's all fear-based. You know, lest they become more numerous and they overthrow us, lest they take us over, lest they harm us. Oh, and, and boy, talk about, boy, that doesn't that ring, you know, in some ways today mm-hmm. of, of how much is so often fear-based uh, rather than whether we know people or not as people. So we move from then slavery, we move into what is known as the Moses and Exodus time frame. And that, that is about uh, several hundred years. It goes from about 1250 uh, to 1130 BC. So you have a couple of hundred years in there. And basically what it is, is again, we don't know a lot about Moses. His history is, is very sketchy um, because it wasn't important whether he was born in a basket or not. Um, what's interesting when it comes to the birth of Moses and such, it is a very typical hero story that, that were simply uh, acro- across multi-cultures. And so, you know, how Moses was born, all of that is really not important. What's important with Moses is the role that he played when it came to the, you know, the people of God. And so his role was one of challenging the authorities in the, you know, the Egyptian uh, ruling family is to challenge that, that you know, you, you, you cannot treat people like this. This is not right to enslave people. Um, and so they talk about the great cry you know, out to the Pharaoh and that, you know, he rose as a leader challenging that authority and saying that there has, you know, has to be a better way eventually you know, leading his people out of Egypt, which is often referred as to as the great Exodus. <laughs> so was Moses a real person? We believe he was a real yes. person. Okay. Yes, he was a real person. Just it's his just, story could be 
in conjunction with a couple other yes absolutely i mean it makes a good story oh it does you know just as there are a lot of you know uh again historical figures here Mm -hmm. whether they actually did what they are yeah that that's the question so but what we do know is that he was a leader of the people and what we do know is that he is known for some uh, key things. One, leading the people out of Egypt to the border of what was known as the land of Canaan at the time. And that, you know, as, as the story goes in the sense that he never entered that land because he wasn't permitted to because of his own doubts, you might say. Eventually, Joshua would be the one who would, who would uh, lead them into the land of Canaan. Is that he we do know from all of the stories, and again, there are always these threads that, that are woven through, and, and you look for those threads. What is a constant theme? Uh, another constant theme is that he was connected in God like no other. That it, it, they said he, he is the only one really that saw God face to face and lived. Um, so he was very well known as a tremendous, tremendous religious leader also. Um, then we also look at the um, liberated, like I said, from Egypt, uh, the Decalogue, you know, or the Ten Commandments. Mm. Is that the origin of bringing the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, you know, to the people of Israel, which basically helps to form the covenant then between God and the people. And the third thing that he is really known for is the putting together and of creating the Ark of the Covenant. This is where... Um, it was believed that God resided among the people. Now, again, when you think about all of this, is that you're looking at, you know, around 150 plus years that that the history of all of this, the Exodus and Moses, and even, you know, where eventually Moses, again, was not, did not enter the land of, of Canaan to be the, you know, the chosen place to live, but uh, died, you know, on the border there, uh, Transjordan area. And then the people, as the story goes, you know, because they doubted, <clears throat> were condemned to basically travel for 40 years in the desert. And instead of coming at the land of Canaan from the west, they ended up going around and around and around and came at it from the east. Which has always baffled me. Like how that area doesn't seem that big that they're wandering. So how do you not find your way for 40 years well and part of that is is that because they had to follow where god led them so the 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 history being you know this one thing you have to remember is that when with looking at the bible is that this is about a people's relationship with god so everything that happens is really somehow connected to god so part of this could have been because of of militarily, uh, not wanting to, uh, the Canaanites were considered a a considerable tribe of people. I mean, they were well organized. They were a military power and they controlled pretty much everything that, that Israel right now, all along the Mediterranean there down to the south. So it is very likely that the, the tribe that eventually left Egypt probably wasn't made up of mostly military people, but but folks who were slaves. And so it is very possible that one of the motivations would have been is we don't want to confront these people head on, mm. because if we do, we're toast. 
And so rather than confronting, and the area isn't all that big, but you go down into the Sinai Peninsula and then up and around there and then over to the, uh, you know, toward the West more into, you know, Mesopotamia or those areas is that you would have, um, first of all, you would have had, uh, you're taking a whole group of people, so travel would have been slow. Uh, you would have been having to uh, fend off various military forays by the very the tribes that were kind of existing in there. Sure. You would have had the threat of the Canaanites who would have seen this people as a potential threat. And eventually, when they did enter, is that there were any number of military conquests. But when you get into that whole time, which we'll get into just a little bit, is that it, it took, it, it wasn't just a matter of, you know, like the Bible kind of paints the picture of, you know, okay, you had this tribal leader, he beat up this group, and so that was one group of Canaanites. This group of leader beat up another, is that this was over 100 plus years. And for a long time, it was really the peoples living together and kind of absorbing each other's cultures. Mm. And eventually... Uh, again, fear and military and desire for power and 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 you know how they perceived as God is working in the midst of all of this, that you would have had um, that you would have eventually had the Israelite nation taking over what the Canaanites used to you know sure. used to have. Maybe wandering just is a bad translation because I just think like. <laughs> aimlessly moving around like i don't know where to go i'm just gonna wander so maybe more like well in some know. ways it might have been aimless it's like anything you you take a step and you you make a move and all of a sudden you have to step back and saying now what do we do i mean we've got our freedom now what do we do sure. and in fact you find in the bible any number of places in the bible where the people you know it has the people grumbling and saying would that we were back at our flesh pots in egypt at least we wouldn't die here in the desert with this wretched food better to be slaves and so you're dealing with a people that has to figure out do we really want this and it takes a long time to figure that out because when you think about when Moses would have started to about the time when, you know, people settled in the land of Canaan and such, you're talking approximately two to three hundred years. They got to figure out what they want to be. And it, so it takes time. And you find that in many ways, again, it's people trying to sort this out and, and really asking God, help us figure out what we're supposed to be. You move from Exodus then into the settlement in Canaan. Joshua was the one who would have started this. Um, but the other, the other piece to this is, is that while they're combating, Canaan, the Canaanites were the big military power in the area. But even those, those groups, they were in many ways largely uh, uh, tribes together, similar to what the people of Israel were. So you have this process of, of, an, of kind of an intruding group of people, the Israelites, into an established group of people, the Canaanites, and, and kind of land and things are conquered in stages. Kind of how do we, how do, we do this? So it, it takes a while. 
also with the with the Israelites, the chosen people, you don't have a central government. You don't have a central voice of authority. You have the judges, what are called the judges. The judges would be people like uh, Samson, uh, Gideon. These were judges. These were local leaders of particular tribes. When it's it's kind of like anything, it's when a people feel attacked that then you're going to unite because you have a common enemy. But when that con common enemy, the Canaanites, is you know, is is conquered or put at bay, then you start the infighting again. And there was constant infighting between these tribes. You know, they were, quote, this people of God, uh, this people of God in so many ways hated each other more than anything else. And so, you know, uh, again, it's trying to figure out who are they going to be. Well, well once, they're also humans. Uh, well, <laughs> yes, exactly. So once you have all of that happening, uh, and finally, there is the settlement in the land of Canaan. Well, the land of the Canaanite group has pretty much now been conquered. There were vestiges of groups, but for the most part, the Canaanite kingdom was done with. It now was becoming the Israelite kingdom. But it was so in the sense of tribes, the 12 tribes. And as I said, there was so much infighting. There was, I mean, really basic anarchy. You know, you want to talk about anarchy? That was anarchy. And so each tribal leader, you know, pretty much did what they wanted to do or thought best for their group of people. And depending upon how big their group was, you know, they could convince other groups to do the same or to go along with it. But you had the time then what is called the settlement in Canaan and then the time of judges. That was about uh, 1130 to 1020, so about 100 or so years. A monarchy was inevitable. As much as they didn't want it, it was inevitable. And the reason was, and we hear the story of David and Goliath, is that the Philistines were a major power in the north, and they were starting to move south. Well, when you have a giant, I mean... Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> or at least a very large person. <laughs> so eventually... The monarchy, like I said, was inevitable in order to protect themselves from major, what were beginning to be major military powers to the north, the Philistines. And so then what happens is that the monarchy is, is pretty much begins with the, the last judge to be one of the judges. The last judge was Samuel, who was also a prophet. So is, are the judges you're referring to, they like... The Book of Judges? Book of Judges, that's, yes. That's their, all their stuff? Yes, that okay. is all of their, all of the infighting and what they did and all of that stuff of how they all formed the alliances, okay. broke alliances, formed alliances, broke them again, killed each other off. It's, it's a messy, it's a messy, violent time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have Samuel then that moves from that time of the Judges uh, a loose group of 12 tribes to what is called the time of the monarchy is that and Saul was anointed as the first king by Samuel the final judge in saying we now need a monarchy we need to be a united people and so it is then Samuel uh, who anoints Saul who though he was a good military leader he was a lousy diplomat. He just he he lacked in a lot of ways, and he sorely lacked 
the qualities of kingship when compared to David. Um, you know, Saul, Saul, you kind of read with, with the stories of Saul, and he, he went down into more and more the pits of despair and eventually took his own life. Um, Saul was just not born for greatness at all. David, on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, David was by far the greatest king on all different levels, was by far, though he morally, he lacked a lot. But huh. by far, he you was... You never find a perfect person. Yeah, I know. He was, he is by far considered the greatest king of the Israelite people. Uh, militarily, uh, diplomatically, uh, just how he worked with folks. <coughs> and again, all these people existed. Like, there's yes. proof of that in historical oh, yeah. documents. Yeah. Yeah. These are all, and documents outside of the Bible. You know, we don't just go to the Bible. Is at looking at, you know, uh, documents from, you know, the Assyrians, from the Babylonians, from the Egyptians, from, you know. So mm -hmm. where they have read and researched is that this people, these kings were mentioned, you know, in, in other historical documents mm -hmm. uh, other than just simply what the Bible says. Uh, so you have then the time of the monarchy lasts probably around 500 or so years. So, um, and what's, what's interesting though, is that though you had the monarchy, is that David, by far the greatest king, started in the south, eventually saved the north from invading tribes, and so uh, was made king both of the north and the south. Otherwise, there was still a separation. David was made king of north and the south, and what's interesting, this is something, you know, I probably had heard, just hadn't remembered, is the reason that Jerusalem became the, the capital was because it was really in the middle of the north and the southern kingdoms. Otherwise, there, you know, the, the original capitals were not, you know, was not Jerusalem or that. Uh, Jerusalem was there because it was really midpoint between the north and the south kingdoms. Like what years are we talking about? The, what years are we talking about? 1120 BC. So we're looking at 1100s BC that the 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 kingdom is finally being solidified, mm -hmm. and and David, you know, not only becomes the king first of all in the south, but then eventually becomes the king in the, in, the, in the north. After David, again a great military power and such really brought things together, and it was a time of peace, which then allows for people to start writing the Bible. You know, now the oral histories, the stories, all of these things, you had one, you had a monarchy, you had people united on lots of different fronts, you had economic prosperity, the beginning of, you had security by the military, mm -hmm. and now people, because they weren't, have, weren't worried about someone, you know, shooting them with an arrow or cutting their head off with a sword, is that you had people who could sit down and write, beginning the writings of the Bible. And so now you taking these oral histories and what might have been written and story, family stories, and saying, okay, we need to put this down so to pass this on to future generations so we don't lose it by oral history. You think about sometimes is that what if this had been written down from the very beginning, <laughs> what we might know compared to having it go for 400 plus years before anything is ever written. And it's just by oral tradition. 
eventually you had, after David, is that you had Solomon. Solomon was known for his wisdom. Solomon was known for his building projects, but he was also known for his extravagant lifestyle. And basically his legacy was to set up the kingdom to fall apart again, is that he was not a good diplomat. He was not a military leader by any stretch. Um, he was he was a bureaucrat. That's what he was, you know. And so he spent lavishly. Uh, he taxed the people horribly, which created a lot of animosity, of course, that a lot of the things that we know that Solomon did as far as building the temple and such was on the backs of the people. And, and after a while, again, you can only do that for so long, and then people will rebel. After Solomon dies, he ruled for about 40-some years, Ooh. Solomon. But after he dies, is that the North and South Kingdoms split. Is that there is no love. We're done with this. <laughs> yeah, you know, there is no love there whatsoever. And so they split. And so you have, you know, again, you have the Southern Kingdom. You have the Northern Kingdom. And in so really, years, though, no if love. they split, how how cohesive were they when they were together? I mean, they would have had they must have had that mentality of like, well, we're still north and south. Not not really. No. Actually, when David united them, there was a, a you know, and, and the Bible again reflects on this is that there was a united front that we are one people. Now, one part of that was for survival, but two is that David, and in the beginning, Solomon brought great prosperity to a vast majority of people. But like anything is, is that slowly as this prosperity continued to grow and grow and grow, it, it became the rich came became richer and eventually the poor became poorer. Hmm. And where have we heard that one before is that we what we forget is that during the 1120, moving into the you know the the 900s and so is that Israel what the north and south they were a major major political and and economic and military power they were one of the big they were one of the big players hmm. and and sometimes we forget that because in a sense size-wise they were they were smaller but but militarily, economically, politically, they were big-time players. And so the people for a long time did enjoy great prosperity. It's when that Solomon particularly, as he taxed more and more and more, and did so on the northern people in many ways and, and such, is that as finally, you know, it became less and less cohesiveness. And, and like I said, you know, his... You know, it's it's oftentimes said is that uh, Solomon lacked all of the virtues that David had. You know, he just he was he was no David. David was one of a kind, and you know was one of those rising stars. You know, again, lack of moral fortitude sometimes, but still, by far was probably the greatest king that that the, that the kingdom ever had, and and it it just kept going down and down because there was so much infighting. Uh, political infighting both in the north and the southern kingdoms. There was no love lost there. And as a consequence, eventually the, the kingdoms, you know, because there was no lack of military cohesiveness, security, uh, people were at a lot of unrest there, is that 
it's like anything then is that the kingdoms around the north and, and east the north and, and east side you had you know Assyria first and then the Babylonians and then the Persians Just waiting for their chance absolutely and they each took their shot and the Assyrians basically wiped out the northern kingdom first the southern kingdom lasted for a while and then there were some you know Packs made between the Babylonians who basically um, conquered uh, the Assyrians is that the uh, Babylonians made some agreements, but eventually the Babylonians in 587 crushed, came in and crushed Jerusalem. And so then they refer that refer to that as the Great Exile in 587 BC. Is that then temple was destroyed and basically the vast majority of the population uh, anyone who was seen of value was basically uh, transported off to Babylonia you move you know uh, you move to 587 and then if so for a hundred or so years they were in exile but like anything you know you rise to the top well eventually you fall because somebody else wants to be king of the mountain is that then you have the Persians and you have Cyrus who was again probably one of those rising stars and in fact and in fact they refer to Cyrus as a messiah um, in the history of, of, of the chosen people because he eventually allowed them he believed that you allowed people to go back home and so he allowed the people in exile who had been in exile a long time he allowed those people to go back home. After you have that happen, you know, then there's, again, as they go back home, there tend, as there tends to be a lot of political infighting, you know, who was true and who remained true in exile and who didn't. And it was during this time that the hostility and the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans started to, to fester. Hmm. So the, the, the history between Jews and Samaritans goes back literally to the time when they are allowed to return uh, to Jerusalem in around, around the 400s or so. So when they were all one country, were the Jews and Samaritans in the same country? Yeah, they were, Samaritans were primarily north. Okay. And, and the, the, uh, the Jews primarily the south. And it's, it's uh, then, you know, when they were all kind of transported out, mm -hmm. is that uh, the, by the Jews, by the, those who held to, you know, covenantal living and those who kept more stri stringent laws and such, they saw the people from the north having sold out, that they had basically sold their soul. And so that's where the politics then... I wonder know, if what you it? read from the history from the Samaritan side and see what they said about <laughs> the Jews. Yeah, really. You know, that, that's very true. That's very true. Um, so then you move from that time. Then in 532, now you're looking at about, uh, you know, 250-some years now. In 532, you have the rise of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great comes in and defeats everybody. Mm -hmm. And he pretty much takes over the, with the empire of Alexander the Great, takes over the known world at that time, Babylonia, Persia, Syria, all of these Middle East and such. Mm -hmm. And he, he really, uh, through the domination of, of Alexander, you have the domination of the Greek 
culture. And that really, um, because once, you know, once the um, Alexander comes in and basically takes over everything, is that you have the Greek culture. But once he, uh, once he dies, is that they split up his empire through various, by various leaders. And the Seleucid family uh, that took over what was known, what we would see as Jerusalem, Israel area, is that they were incredibly brutal, just horribly brutal people. And so there was no love there. And eventually you, has, you have, I should say, a revolt by the Jewish, Jewish sect called the Hasmoneans, who revolted and basically defeated the Seleucid, you know, rule, but they were just as cruel as, as the foreigners were. And so then you have what is called eventually the Macca, Maccabean Revolt, which takes us, brings us literally to 39 BC, which is right before the time of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now with the Maccabean Revolt and all of that, that is taking place and again, the weakness of the kingdoms and Herod kind of takes over now. And Herod is able to take over because he has the backing of the Romans, Herod the Great. But again, he wasn't that much better, mm -hmm. but at least it wasn't as brutal. And so <clears throat> you have the agreement, but eventually, you know, the Greek and the, not the Greeks, but the Romans, they take over and, you know, really are the major power. So Herod really eventually becomes just a puppet figure. Uh, that, that's all he is. And because it's the Romans and then you have, you know, uh, Pontius Pilate and the, the Roman magistrate who comes in and has the real power. Uh, Herod really is more of a figurehead. Although Herod is that though is not the greatest ruler and such, is that he was a masterful architect. And so he... he again, on the backs of the poor, of course. Um, he rebuilt a lot of the, the walls of Jerusalem. He built, you know, helped to rebuild part of the temple. Uh, and, and even to this day, you can see things that Herod built and, and the incredible architectural skill that this man must have had hmm. in order to build these, these structures that are still standing and, and are standing very well. Thank you very much. Uh, last time you said that the Bible is written in three different languages. So the first one, Hebrew, right? Or... Uh, you have Aramaic, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. So did the Greek come in when Alexander the Great? That His influence with the Greek culture was so great and so pervasive mm -hmm. that uh, it, it literally... Uh, was the major language anyone of education had, you know, would have written in, you know, if they were to do any writing, it would have been in Greek. So that's why all of your New Testament books are all written in Greek, but that goes back to the influence of, of hmm. Alexander the Great. Even the Romans didn't, you know, Latin was seen as the poor person's language for a long time. That was That's so opposite of what uh, yes, today is. <laughs> that was that was the language that lowlifes spoke. That was not the language of the elite of the educated. It was Greek, and that goes back to the influence, literally, of hundreds of years before of, of Alexander the Great. He really pushed, 
you know, the, the influence of Greek culture, Greek light, uh, writing, uh, Greek art, you know, all of that. It's, the Greek influence lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. Hmm. And so no one would have written in Latin because you were the scum of the earth if you were going to speak in Latin. So even the Romans, once they took over, they were still speaking Greek? They would have been speaking Greek. Interesting. They would not Not have been, what you think of. No, no, it is not. And eventually, as the Romans came into power, yeah. now the, somebody else you know, kicks off the, the Greek culture and such. Now you have the Roman culture. Mm-hmm. You know? But it took a while for the Roman culture to actually be pervasive. And you know, as far as you know, people actually speaking Latin and stuff like that, anybody who was anybody spoke Greek, including the Romans. Oh. They spoke Greek. That was... Um, I mean, when you think about it, just historically, you say, well, gee, why was it written in Greek? Because anyone who could write would have written in Greek. That's what the literate people did. They wrote in Greek. And so the New Testament things would have all been written in the Greek so language. All, all the New Testament was in Greek. Was some of the end of the Old Testament, would that have been in Greek? Or no, that would have been all... Hebrew. There would have been Hebrew okay. and, and Aramaic, the Old Testament. Okay. All of the New Testament, yeah, it... it that all would have been in either Hebrew or Aramaic. Interesting. Yeah. Greek then was the New Testament for, for the writers. Hmm. Um, so then you come to, you know, really wrote the Roman rule. And the Roman rule wasn't all that much nicer than a lot of the others, of course. Um, no one's ever just nice to each other. No, no. And literally, Jerusalem was kind of considered a backwater town. You know, it, it wasn't of really any importance to the Romans. So you... Put a magistrate there, and you know Pontius Pilate was not exactly on the top of his game. That's for doggone sure. <laughs> and so they were allowed to do pretty much anything they wanted to. And the Romans were masters in torture and in letting people know we're in charge. And if you don't think so, look at your buddy hanging on the cross there. Uh, and and that would have been a you know it would they they were brutal at times, just brutal. And and and. Uh, they made no excuses for it, too. And they were brutal to each other. You know, and, you know, for example, is that uh, if they said 40 lashes, that man had better, or person had better be living for 40 lashes. Not 41 and not 39. It was 40 lashes. And you knew that if you didn't have that guy still living at 40 lashes, that was going to be your fate. Also, when you talk about decimating something, mm-hmm. every 10, is that there was a, a um, what they used to do is that they would have a lot of times desertion, particularly in battles. And so th- what they would do is that after a battle is that they would have all of the soldiers, you know, just line up and random. Every 10th one they killed because it's like it's one of these things is that uh, just, you know, if you're going to be a deserter or whatever, is that everybody had better doggone well fight to make sure we win this battle, because if we don't, there's going to be hell to pay. Oh they were brutal at times to them to their own people, and so. Uh, but then, as you move into that Roman period, you moved obviously through the time of Jesus, which would have been what he would have known, mm-hmm. you know, growing up. He would have only known uh, Roman rule. You know, uh, that's those are the people that uh, the soldiers and such that would have been, you know, walking through his streets, his towns, 
and such. Right. It sounds very dangerous. Yet very dangerous time. He does a lot of walking and moving around in the Bible, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Jesus does. And you don't, you don't really hear about how dangerous... It was it a. It probably was just to wander the, you know, yeah. wander, yes. wander around. <laughs> it was a dangerous time to live. It was a not only physically from disease and all of those kinds of things. It was a dangerous time to live, just politically, uh, militarily, because you could have been wandering around, and a group of military people decide to kill you. They decide to kill you. Why? Because they can. You know, um, it was a brutal time. Probably, you know, I think about this, probably one of the reasons why they, when they would have been walking or wandering out, they would have been in groups mm-hmm. because... Two by two, that makes sense. Yeah, or, or even groups of maybe 12. Oh, oh, yeah, sure. Is that the Roman soldiers were less likely to probably off a person, you know, in a group of 12 than, than one or two even. Yeah. It was a dangerous type. Which I suppose then that goes to... If word gets around and people are talking about Jesus here and there and there and there and people in power start getting a little antsy. Yep. It, it wouldn't surprise me. Again, we, we to grow in an understanding of the historical perspective helps us to understand sometimes some of the things that Jesus did, um, why he may have said some of the things and how hard I suspect at times it was to do some of the things that he did. Um, because, you know, we had talked a little bit about this. I'm not sure if it was with you, but this idea that when, when, you know, when a centurion comes up to him and says, please help me, is that he, one, he may have known that centurion, seen him around. Mm -hmm. Again, the area wasn't that big. It's not like there were millions of people. Is that, two, is that that centurion or the people under him may very well have harmed some of the people he would have known while growing up is that at times we kind of perceive these people as just anonymous faces and and Jesus being this nice guy to these anonymous faces. And I'm not so sure that they would have always been anonymous faces, that they would have been people that he would have known, been associated with, or at least may have heard about. Mm -hmm. And coming up to him and saying, you know, could you please help? How much, how difficult it might have been for the centurion to admit he needed help, mm-hmm. but also how difficult it might have been for Jesus to assist this person because he could have just as easily said, and probably no one would have blamed him, you know what, you get exactly what you deserve. But he didn't do that. You know, um, how difficult it must have been sometimes for those kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, putting faces and yeah. stories behind it, yeah. you know. And to see it very, very differently. So it's uh, so when you look at it historically, it's 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 much more convoluted than we than, than we think, sure. and and there are blocks of time where things happen, it's, um, but in those blocks of times, it wasn't just kind of a straight line. This one begat this one. This one begat this one. Um, I don't know. There's some Bible, you know, verses chapters that that's all it is. Yes, and and really, rather than approaching those. Uh, you know, those genealogies as, as we refer yeah. to them, rather than approaching those family trees as actual, this one begot this one, it's to recognize that uh, these probably these folks were probably, 
you know, existed at the very same time or adults at the same time. But the it's going back, what is the genealogy trying to help us understand? And really it comes down to God's will will be done despite human frailty, despite our sinfulness, despite whatever it might be, God's will somehow takes place. Because in those genealogies, you have murderers, rapists, harlots, thieves, kings, poor people. Uh, you know, we just have everything across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And yet God's will is able to be done through all of these people, men and women, just like us, who try to live hopefully the best we can every day. And sometimes we do well at it and sometimes not so well. So it's, it's a marvelous history when you start to look at it. So. Absolutely. Well, that was very interesting. Thank you. I hope y'all enjoyed that. And I think we'll leave it there and we'll see you next time.